Hey, this is Javid Senya from FieldWire. I'm here with my co-founder and CEO, E for No, with another episode from the ground up. Today, we're talking to Nick Wienold and Tony Gloria from Bear Construction in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Jens, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So Nick, as assistant PM at Bear, and Tony as the field technology manager for the company, I'd love to just have a couple words from you guys about what your roles are at Bear Construction. So I'm an assistant project manager. I've been working on the post office since I joined at Bear. I handle day-to-day coordinating and executing of the contract and bidding process for just making things happen out there, getting the project done and trying to do it with minimal headaches. So Nick, if I'm correct, your uncle started the company, right? So maybe you can tell us a bit more about the history of the company and what exactly it does. Yeah, so Bear Construction was started by my uncle, Nick Wienold, and it is quite confusing through emails. We often get forwards from really left field, but he had started the company as a small self-performing carpentry contractor. And then we moved into the GC role really as it started expanding and really just built good relationships from the beginning. And I mean, they had the tool belts on out there working on the projects. They were going back estimating long hours. So Nick started the company. My dad, George Wienold, later on joined, and then they were followed by their youngest brother, Jim. And the three of them have built the company over the past 35 years to what it is now. And we have offices in Rolling Meadows is our corporate headquarters. We're operating right now down here out of one North LaSalle. And then we have a couple of remote offices, including one at the post office site. And we have over 200 employees through Bear now. So it's really grown leaps and bounds, but it's always stayed very family centric. And you can ask anybody who gets hired on here. It is a unique place and you feel at home for sure. Yeah, that's something that's interesting to us because as startup founders, there are actually a couple family startups where the founders are related or they're married or they're hiring their brothers and sisters. So how do you think the family part of the company plays out? For you guys. Well, I can even speak to that a little bit because even though my last name is not Wienold, I've known these guys since I was in the first grade. Nick's older brother actually has been one of my best friends since the first grade. So I've known the family for a very long time. And Bear really does have that. As much as we are the size that we are, and we are a big general contractor now, we're not just the contractor down the street. All of our team feels the same way that this is a family focused environment. You know, George and Jim are still in the office all the time. And they really care for everybody in the office. Everybody is working together. It's not just another job that you're walking into. It's, you know, we're here for Bear and for each other. And you can really tell that. You can feel that when you walk in the building. And as you'd expect, any time you're working with family, it gets interesting sometimes. But it's good. It works out well. Well, I used to work in the restaurant industry for my uncle. And I remember people would ask, what's it like working with your uncle? And I said, oh, it's just like a normal boss, except he can hit me and I can't really do it. <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's good to hear it's working well because you know having to put someone on like a performance improvement plan and then having dinner with them on the weekend would be pretty awkward. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Speaking of restaurants, Tony, I think you're a man of my own heart here coming from you know, outside the industry and you used to run marketing for an Italian restaurant before joining Bear, I guess. You know, how did you end up making that change? Well, marketing was one aspect of what I did. I really went from busting tables and hosting and serving to general manager of that same uncle I just mentioned, his restaurants, Rocco Vino's. You know, I did restaurants for a long time, probably about 15 years. And really moving to Bear as a field tech manager, I'm in a position where I 
get to play with toys and gadgets, which has always just basically been my hobby. So it works out great. It was a great position that Bear kind of opened up for me, which was, you know, we're looking to modernize and get to the next level here. And of course, there, there is technology available in the industry, but finding a way to fit it in sometimes is a little easier said than done and finding the right tools because there's a ton of tools out there and we get the calls every day, but finding what works best and how to properly implement it and what's going to, at the end of the day, make the job better is really what it comes down to. So that's kind of what I've had the pleasure of doing is playing with things that, that make our jobs better and make it more fun. Nice. I like it. And which one had, a, I guess, like better hours for you? I know the restaurant world at least has food on demand, but... Bears definitely much better hours. The restaurant industry gets you working the weekends and holidays and all night long. I sleep a lot better these days. Yeah, I did an early tour at a pizzeria myself back in the day, and I couldn't eat pizza for a couple of years afterwards. It's just the smell like it never goes away. So I get yelled at all the time for not wanting to order pizza. They're like, how do you not like pizza? I'm like, when you've been around it as much as I am, you don't want pizza anymore. I get it. I didn't think it was possible, but I learned that sad fact. So while we're diving deep in the Chicago food scene right now, one of the key things we wanted to talk about today is kind of like that lifetime project that you guys worked on, which is the redevelopment of the Chicago Post Office. So we'd love to hear more about that project. The photos look amazing. Tell us more about what you guys did on that building. Yeah, I think Nick will talk more specifics on the building for sure. But just as far as it being in Chicago, you know, I didn't get the pleasure of being in there on a day-to-day basis, but... The old Chicago Post Office is a really amazing building. It was a really great project to work on. Everybody who was a part of that project had a lot of pride being on it because it is such a historical, really a monument in Chicago. And it's something that, you know, if you're from Chicago, you know that building. When you drive into the city of Chicago, before you see the main skyline and the lakefront, when you're going eastbound on 290, one of the main expressways coming in, you literally drive through the old Chicago Post Office. And it's something that people have seen for years and years. It was forgotten about for a long time. But the architecture, you can tell it's a Chicago building. You know, Same architects that built the Merchandise Mart and the Civic Opera House in Chicago and a lot of the other famous buildings that Chicago is most well known for. These were the same guys that designed the old Chicago Post Office. So being a part of something that is so just deeply rooted in the hearts of Chicagoans and the city itself has really been an amazing project to be yeah, a part of. Yeah, and really pushing a breath of fresh air into this building has been revitalization for the entire area. My favorite dive bar shut down about a year (laughs) into it. You got to make sacrifices. (laughs) Yeah. Once all the grime was out of the building and it started to turn, but it had been abandoned since really 1990s. The Chicago post office had operated through their government building, all of that. And it had its roots really early on for expansion through things like the Sears catalog and just how much shipping came through Chicago created the need to expand what was originally just what we now refer to as the East Building, which was just six stories tall and a really skinny operating floor plate. And then they did the massive expansion sometime late 1920s, 1930s, and that is what expanded it to the 2.7 million square foot building it is today. And that has the South building floor plate was all for big operations, giant mail chutes, conveyor belts, just the process of sorting through just that quantity of mail that comes through there. And then there were office buildings in the North with the main lobby that you walk in today, really serving as your uh, teller booth to drop off your packages, 
pay for postage, all of that sort of stuff. So it operated in that fashion for years and was really a landmark part of Chicago. And then just as buildings do and things move on, it started to kind of deteriorate a bit. And then there ultimately what pushed it was there was a big fire on the seventh floor, I think. And you could see the smoke damage before the abatement went through there. And it kind of pushed the post office to build the building directly across the street, their new operation center. And then it eventually got sold off and turned over the property. And it changed hands a number of times over years and got through some of the permitting processes. I mean, it's quite a project to try to revitalize that much square footage and kind of remold it. So eventually 601 companies bought the building. The guy who they bought it from ended up actually dying the next day. This podcast yeah. getting dark. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an Alanis Morissette song. Yeah. And then 601 West companies partnered with Bear, Genzer, Telos, a number of other entities to go into that to really kick off the project that we're doing today. Wow. And so just clarifying, that was a building that basically hadn't been inhabited for 30 years, had fire damage. I mean, what was kind of the conditions, I guess, that you guys were? Oh, man, you should have seen it when you rolled in. It is amazing <laughs> what it looked like. They had wood tile floors and the ceiling obviously had started to deteriorate as well. They had water pouring in there. So the floors were actually giant waves. When you walk through the East Building, there were some laboratories on the north side. There were trees, moss growing. <laughs> I mean, if you stood in the center of it, just the pure mass of equipment, you had zero light all the way there. So there was quite a process to just getting the whole thing cleared out, even right. to start looking at what you had. On well, a lot of the early and really for a while, the construction was a lot of the abatement, removing of, you know, we're talking a building that was built in the 20s and 30s, lead-based paint and asbestos was all throughout that building. And mm -hmm. that was a lot of the construction process was just clearing it out and getting it to look like something you could build on top of. Yeah, and this is basically working on a skyscraper that was on its side. Paint us a picture of exactly the scale of this thing. Yeah. So for example, the Sears Tower, Willis, whatever, it's a heated debate in Chicago, but the Sears Tower is 4.9 million square feet. And this is 2.7 million, except over 110 stories, the Sears Tower accumulates that square footage where we really have nine levels of the post office. And the building is actually, it's not only just quite sprawling and massive to straddle the highway and encompass like a whole city block over there, pretty much. The project actually does sit over a parkway and Amtrak rail lines, right? How did that kind of impact working on the job? Yeah, so in addition to literally the highway drives through the building, and then underneath that, you've got the Amtrak lines, which go into Chicago and then out to the suburbs and beyond. And Nick will talk a little bit more about the actual process, but I know that part of the building, as Nick mentioned, it was kind of built at a couple different times, a couple different sections, but the four pillars of the building that you see, those actually house these enormous exhaust fans that literally lift the diesel fumes from, like a better term, the basement where the Amtrak lines are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so lift it straight up and out. So yeah, the exhaust fans that Tony's mentioning were one of the first things in the agreements when 601 West companies bought the building is that they had to replace these right away to make sure that it was safe for the city of Chicago. And the whole building really is built on stilts. It's a giant bridge, not only over the highway, but all of these 38 tracks that run in on the south side of Union Station. So when those 
trains are sitting there parked, there's a catch deck plenum underneath with fume hoods. And yeah, that draws all the air up and sends it up there. So working with large government entities and private companies like Amtrak and CDOT and any of these things, it always poses logistical and scheduled challenges, just trying to make sure everything's coordinated and you're following all the rules and regulations that you typically don't run into on different projects. So how did you guys proceed with those shafts? Do you shut one shaft off and then repaired it and then moved on to the next one? What happened there? I came onto the project after this was already going, but from what I've been described on this is that they worked on each fan, went around, and I mean, there were full replacements. So it was phases of it at a time, but yeah, the general concept was shut a few down, replace those while the ones are still operating, drawing some of that out, and then kind of just keep this cycling out and turn them all over. And these were giant fan blades that we had helicopters literally yeah. fly in with these blades. Over we the had a lot of... Drop them in place here. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of attention on the building around that time because it's this sleeping giant laying around and all of a sudden you got helicopters picking stuff off, the debris from the roof. Oh, it's like when they drop in these fans. Yeah, if you go to the opening bank robbery scene of the Dark Knight, that's the main lobby. Oh, really? Yeah, they zip line over from Riverside across the street. They break the window and zip over onto the roof that's going to be opening. So that was the most action the post office had had in a while. But now there will be some more There's It's bustling now, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, even though it's the post office, there was a morgue inside it as well? Yeah, the North Building had quite a few different small office setups, but... People back in the 1920s actually shipped bodies through the mail to get them to their final resting spots. And yeah, there was a morgue, there were laboratories, there was a shooting range on the roof for the postal police. I think we did find a gun actually laying around there one day. (laughs) That is awesome. Did you get to keep the gun? No, no, we didn't get to keep the gun. You turned it over and all that. Maybe one day we get it back, but I believe (laughs) the Chicago police have that now. So that's the process. You contact the police and you hand over the gun. Is that how it works? Yeah, I didn't really find that chapter in our construction handbook, but that seemed like the best path forward. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't end up, you know, getting booked for some crime from like the 1930s in the process. Yeah, Capone threw it on the roof while he was running. (laughs) I didn't know they used the building in the Batman movie. I mean, everybody knows Gotham City is Chicago, right? I mean, I think it's pretty at this point. So one of the things, though, is that when you touch kind of like such a historic building, kind of like how do you try to maintain, I guess, the authenticity or is that up to the owners or did they pick you specifically for it? How do you approach something that has so much history? Well, I think the architects definitely did a lot of the work to make sure that we respected not only the historical value, but again, kept the soul and the, the feeling of the building. So as you walk through the post office, as much as it's been renovated and it looks new, you'll see a lot of trademarks of the original building. You know, there's some of the original mail slides that you can still find in a few of the offices that were built out now. Some of the original, these giant metal scales that were used to weigh large packages and things like that. And I don't know if they were kept because they had to be kept in there or because the owner thought they looked cool, which they kind of do. But yeah, I think not only because it was part of the historical, it was reserved in that sense, but It was a grand plan with the architects really out of the gate. They worked with the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and you get tax credits and there's incentives for ownership to work with that, but they really worked with SHPO to put together packages and really see what was truly historical with the building and keep the same vibe and flow. So yeah, if you go into Gensler's office over here in Chicago, they had a whole 
kind of dream board of the different features that really made this place unique. The green and black mosaic tiles were made by just, we could only really find one tile company that could recreate these to the historical specs of that. And we had to fly them up here. They got down on their hands and knees and were measuring grout lines and all of that. The speckles had to come from a certain dirt in Alabama. There's all sorts of funny things. In the main historical lobby, they have all these gold leaf tiles. And we actually had to get those from Italy. And they were like a 20-week lead time. So there's a lot of little pieces that you have to put back together, just matching stones that were missing, correct hues. And as you get stone from mountain, it changes over time. So finding the correct match or the closest match you can serves as quite a difficult process when you're 100 years apart in sourcing this material. So there were a million different examples that we could go on all day of just unique sources that we had to acquire a lot of this from. Was a lot of that kind of planned in advance or is that also some figuring it out as you're going, given the state of the facility as you guys kind of inherited it when you started working on it? A lot of the groundwork was set out in those initial agreements, but still finding and sourcing contractors for that stuff needs to be, as it's permitted, designed, and bid, we do need to find where we're getting that or subcontractors need to find where they're getting them. And there's definitely alts and kind of left turns that we took at times just to be able to meet timelines and price points and whatnot. But the main focus of it was found very early on. Tony, you'd mentioned this project has been transformational for the West Loop of Chicago beyond it closing Nick's favorite dive bar. Can you tell us a little bit more about the kind of before and after impact on the city? So the post office is located in what we call the West Loop, which is obviously a little bit west of the lake and kind of the main downtown area of Chicago. Well, originally it was the meatpacking district in Chicago. So when you hear about, you know, the Sausage King of Chicago and Ferris Bueller and all that, this is kind of the old sausage and that kind of area of Chicago. And we're talking like Randolph and Hall said, that kind of area, which probably within about the last decade has started revitalization and is now one of the hottest areas in Chicago where you find some of the coolest restaurants. You find some top chefs that are opening new restaurants and bars in this area. Some really cool shops, really nice lofts, living areas. You've got a lot of companies like Google opening headquarters in the West Loop now. So the post office is really kind of just a progression of that area. And really, this revitalization was really just the next step because it is in that area. And I think that it's really opening up another section of Chicago where it's working along with that West Loop revitalization to open up the section of Chicago that's a beautiful area. You're still so close to downtown. And it's really just taking a part of Chicago that was almost forgotten about 10 years ago and now has become something totally unique and different and is so sought after and really another tourist destination for people in Chicago too, not only for the locals here. So have you had the chance to, I don't know, just go out with friends and family in that area and just how does that feel when you kind of look around you're like, that's a building we worked on? I love pointing it out. About a year or two ago, we were doing one of the Chicago boat tours down the river, you know, with some buddies from out of town. It's like, guys, I've been in that building. We're working on that one right now. And it is definitely a neat feeling. And then just being in the West Loop in general and knowing like, okay, we're kind of a part of the future of this area. You know, maybe today there's not as much of a sense or, you know, you kind of think about it, but 10 years down the road, we'll see what happens and how this, once this post office fills up with these new businesses and really the rest of the West Loop kind of continues to build around it. 
I think 10 years from now, being down there walking around is going to be a real cool film when we go, hey, we were kind of a part of this. And I've been living in downtown Chicago now for five years. And I mean, the Loop has always maintained its prestige and what makes Chicago great. The South Loop has really come around in the past 20 years. If you look at even property values, they've skyrocketed in that area. And then when you hand that in with the West Loop revitalization Tony was just talking about, you end up kind of sectoring off. And if you look at the neighborhood to the southwest is called near west side. That's really the next area that's going to kind of pop off Pilsen down to the south and just kind of trendier things starting to happen in here. So once you inhabit this building and the two buildings that popped up across the river in the south loop that you can see right out of the windows of the post office, that foot traffic is just going to bring in a whole new life and buzz to the area that we're seeing today. Well, I think that's one of the cool things, too, is when you go through this area, obviously, the post office will be home to probably a lot of bigger corporations, some of the ones they already have in there, like Walgreens and Uber and some of these real big names. But the West Loop and that area is really known for shops you've never heard of and small businesses. <laughs> and it gives people that are opening up a business for the first time or maybe obviously don't have the capital that these big companies do. It's giving them the ability and kind of the exposure to be in an up-and-coming area and start off their own businesses. So it's really a cool area to be a part of in a lot of senses right now. Yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to the impact on the local neighborhood. And there is the craftsmanship that I'm hearing about when you guys talk about picking like very specific tile. There is the tangible aspect of it, but there is the impact. And like as startups, we try to play on the same exact dimension. So I actually heard that on that project, you guys operated a little bit like a startup and you went down to even having a war room on that project. Is that maybe that's something you guys can talk about? Absolutely, yeah. So another really unique portion of this job was that it is a, you'll call it a renovation, but it was a repurposement. So it was an operational building. It served a very specific function. So to strip that clean, revamp and repurpose that into a mold that it was never built for really required us to be very flexible and adaptable towards things you run into. If you go to like renovate a house, for example, you run into a lot of unforeseen conditions. You tear down a wall, there's some old pipes. I mean, multiply that by the scale of this project. And there were just so many little conversations that needed to be had, RFIs, adjustments to the contract documents to really execute the original design intent while still living with the existing infrastructure of the building. So that's why we kind of felt, you know, having that war room, having an on-site office was really beneficial to us. And actually a big part of the war room was field wire. One of the guys' favorite part of that war room was this 55-inch touchscreen that we had purposely put in there for plan management. And that really, I think, turned into the focal point. And that was everyone's favorite room to have their meetings in, for sure. It became highly sought after. We had to create a whole little room schedule so (laughs) that we could figure out who was going in there to figure out different little parts of the project. Our offices were set up in the middle of the south side of the first floor in some old doc manager's office, just an old room that we threw some desks and some computers and got power over to. And we operated side by side with JLL, who had an office just to the north and shared a meeting room. And the place kind of felt like Hogwarts as you started going because you'd have to find a whole new path to navigate through the building as you built new staircases, put in new elevators, build in old staircases, tore down walls, put up new ones. 
you had a lot of mental mapping to get where you were going in there. And sometimes it did take 30 minutes to get up to where you needed to go do some work or view a bid at. So just kind of pushing through there. And then as this project really accelerated, they started getting tenants on board, things like that. There became a very clear date when we had occupancy and lease requirements as a project team that we're committed to. So we started working overtime, double shifts, graveyard shifts. There's been tradesmen in that building nonstop for years at this point now. But our team ourselves, we were kind of slopping through all of that at the beginning as the stuff changes, kind of just trying to lean on each other and work together to kind of get a startup of how these portions of the contract and of the project fit together. And it did get pretty intense at the end because you had a lot to overcome in a short amount of time. And we had our office and we had the touchscreen set up as Tony was talking about. But if you walked in there, there were giant prints all over the wall with post-it notes and highlights and X's and arrows pointing to other stuff, just site logistics of figuring this all out. I remember we were having a meeting and there were three superintendents in there, like five project managers, a lot of project executives from there. And my superintendent walked in and we were like, Bill, where are you going? We're trying to figure this out. And he's like, I'm fighting them in the north. I'm trying to get the wall in. So it did feel very militant. You got to do it to get it done, I guess. Just out of curiosity, can you give me a sense of kind of like the amount of tradesmen that were on site at peak and maybe the amount of work that was executed there? The most that we ever had during the corn shell kind of build out that we've been going through so far is 550 people in and out in a 24-hour period. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, talk about the project of a lifetime, man. Yeah, yeah. And then put that running through the management of Bear. We had like around 15 people between project executives, senior project managers, project managers, APMs, PEs, and three interns over the course of it. So, yeah, it was a lot of people to get in and out of checkpoints and in and out of the building. There's really a lot of work going on at one time. It's not like this job was, okay, we're going to do the first floor right now. Yeah, It was right now, these guys are working on abatement on floor two, and these guys are cutting the slab from the second floor over the vault. When we were uh, doing... This team is doing the lobby, which was the first major section that we really completed. So there was really an effort, and I think it was a rolling effort, especially because a lot of it depended on the abatement. So it was, okay, abatement finishes, we move in there, and, mm-hmm. and it was really kind of a, you had to follow what was ready for us to you know, start construction on. But the size of these floor plates really allowed us to hit an area and hit it hard when we were ready. So for the infrastructure, we put in new ComEd bank in there. I mean, we put in all new plumbing, electrical, heating, everything. So at a certain phase, we started rolling this out a lot of it. We did a BIM modeling, actually. We did a federated model through Autodesk BIM 360 Glue, and we had... Effie Moran installing massive amounts of prefabricated ductwork, just bringing trailer loads after trailer loads on Saturdays, shooting those up the elevator as fast as possible and dropping them on there. And then we'd have sprinklers working on the fifth floor and electricians falling behind them. And Well, what's cool, I think what Nick's saying with the size of the floor plan is it's almost like working outside because, you know, you're talking, you've got heavy machinery moving around, you've got all this equipment and it's like there's 
you know, some of the buildings or some of the offices we work in, it's like, well, we can't start this yet because we can't move that material here yet because yeah. we still work on this portion of the project. Here, it's like, just staging it in. Just, yeah, <laughs> bring it in, put it up. Let's get this thing yeah. going. Like I say, it's a lot like working outside. There's just so much room and you could, at least at one point on several of the floors, you could stand at one end and more or less see all the way down to the other. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of a trip, feeling like I'm inside, but I'm looking down, what, a couple of blocks right now. <laughs> yeah. One of the things we frequently talk about at Fieldwire is building out the culture of the company to kind of support its growth. You know, tell me about how you guys built camaraderie on this project, especially you know, given the pace that you guys were running at. After work beers? After work beers definitely helps uh, <laughs> smooth it out. But we had all been working together, getting the initial phases of this project rolling for two years. So, yeah, there were ton of days we ordered in. We pretty much should have just hired Tony to start a pizza shop in there because it would have saved us some money. Italian or, oh, yeah, yeah because you're Italian. Uh, <laughs> you make better pizza than us. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't manage to keep that dive bar open. We I, you know, we before. tried. We tried. The place probably didn't close. It probably, the guy probably <laughs> retired because all the money made off of you. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of just calling group meetings, just making sure that we are communicating and as intense as things get. That's one of the things I love about construction. I'm a civil engineer. I study. I worked at Department of Water Management for two years before joining on at Bear out of college. So I had worked in an office that is very engineer-based, a little bit more quiet, just kind of processing through and getting that stuff done. And then what I love about the construction industry is that you can be in a full-blown argument with somebody about how to get something done and be screaming and the next day you walk in and you're like hey keith how you doing like how's your night like you just move on you get over it and that's this really happened with the keith or did you replace oh keith for, gets, gets yelled at a lot okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you build it through fire there a lot of the ways and just making sure at the end of the day everybody is really putting their best foot forward you have all the pride all the prestige of this job so when you're invested in something and you're working with guys, it's nice to know that you leave there with friends and better relationships at the end of it. Because as much as it is a job, you're still going to be doing it for a long time afterwards and other ones. So it's good to feel that camaraderie that I'm sure you guys feel at Fieldwire as a startup yourself. I think that's a great way to close this chat. The pride and camaraderie of construction, putting your best foot forward every day and walking on the other side with a better relationship than what you came in with. So that's awesome, guys. Thanks so much for walking us through that awesome project. Can't wait to go to Chicago and maybe go to the best pizza place that I've ever been to, you know? We gotta visit that uncle of yours. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Pizza and beer. We'll celebrate how we did at OPO. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Well, again, Nick, Tony, thanks for spending time with us today, sharing a little bit more about Bear Construction and the Chicago Post Office Project. Thanks again, guys, and look forward to talking again soon. Thanks.